0: Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the your the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. Netsuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one
1: across the board uh, for different reasons, but they feel the fear. A lot of the people protesting are doing it because they don't feel seen and heard. The people protesting are scared. The African-American community is scared and fearful like after what happened, right? Yeah. Everybody is, and it's across the board. Everybody is in fear mode right now between the virus, between the protests, for all various different reasons.
0: Well, that's just it. Like, I don't know anybody who doesn't believe in these issues. Like, obviously, it's horrible what happened, and it's horrible what happens all around the country. But I will say it's horrible also to see, like, I'm really disappointed in social media where I can just go on now social media and see a snuff video uh, of, like, for instance, that St. Louis cop who was shot by looters. You could just watch a six minute video of him breathing his last breath while while he's bleeding out on the ground and trying to move his mouth and looters are screaming. I only wanted a TV set. Like so yes, I watched that video. But it's like I'm disturbed by what's going on. Like what's what's sort of held up as like social media and what's banned from social media? And I don't know. To me, the world does seem still a little upside down with all this, although I do see the other side. On the one hand, I agree with you, there's gonna be reforms. On the other hand, I don't see real leadership as opposed to like the 1960s where there was Martin Luther King and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. This past 30 years, there really hasn't been anything, but there has been a a much greater sophistication about how to manipulate the population. This is the backdrop for like what you're seeing in the actual data now. People wanna know safety on like, let's say 10 different levels. And how do you see people using that data to make their lives businesses campaigns messages whatever better and how do you see that affecting society once again friend of the podcast phil stutz uh on on the show phil welcome
1: good to be here phil, uh, l- little, little, hold on let me start out by saying those yes i uh was in your apartment in new york at the in like last day of february and we were talking about the presidential election and uh the, i think things have changed since then uh yeah a little not bit not just I mean, in politics not much but you know <laughs> yeah. yeah all of us probably got COVID 19 in the meantime but uh yeah it's good to that be was back.
0: probably like the last podcast i did in the apartment and then they were, were shut down I, yeah i think i was about to head to the netherlands or did i just get back from the netherlands i forget i don't remember I don't remember either but so so just by way of introduction phil phil is a uh you've done so many things you you're you start out as an online campaign manager like you ran campaigns for senators governors congressmen presidents so and you you've written a book about it i forget the name of your book we did fire, a podcast fire them
1: now the seven lies digital marketers sell
0: right because then you're were, you were transitioning and you'd already transitioned from doing online campaigns which you still do but you now you've been taking those tech marketing techniques that you use in online campaigns and you've been applying them to corporations and it was great in our first podcast that we ever did we've done like three or four now in the first podcast you kind of described from 2000 on the history of online campaigning and how it evolved each campaign you know all the way from from the bushes to the to the trumps and it was really fascinating how how each you know every 4 years it evolved and i guess had it, you know and then and then we talked about like just you know uh, uh you you know how those campaign techniques apply to online marketing how anybody can use those techniques yeah. and then Last time we met, we did two podcasts. We talked about the election. But we also talked about data and what you were seeing in the data. But now the world has changed. Mm-hmm. And the data you're seeing is much different. And, what, and I just wanted to describe, because we, you and I talk frequently on the phone. We've been working on different projects together. And you you take these surveys where you show what is important to people. And this, this is important to this, the, the, the data that you come up with the results you come up with are important, not only for people running for president or Congress or comp or people running companies, but they're also important to people like me or the people listening, which is what messages are people want to hear right now, what messages people need to hear. And for me, I never really changed my message, but it was refreshing to hear some in our late, some of our latest conversations that these were the messages. These were the words that I've always been using, but for years, uh, like let's say from 2015 to 2020, they were not really useful because everyone was like, "Oh, here's my private jet and all my, <laughs> you know, all my money," and that those were the things that influencers and and online personalities and and companies and so on were, were those were the the things that were important to people. But now they're not, and we'll talk about that in this podcast. We're going to talk about data. We're going to talk about elections. We're going to talk about all things in 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 the new normal the 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 data of the new normal, but because I love elections, I have to start off there
1: well, hold on, there's no new normal
0: it's just new right just, you're right, you're right because by the way, the old normal, and I'll use that phrase for the last time the old normal wasn't really so great anyway like who gives a shit that 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 it's it's new it's the normal has changed. I'm actually pretty happy as long as as long as there isn't chaos. For I feel for the first time in, at least in my lifetime, we have flirted with a bad outcome. 9-11, I always was optimistic. Great recession, I was actually kicked off, laughed off CNBC because I was so optimistic, even though I was correct. And then eventually I was invited back. But this is the first time in my adult life where I've thought to myself, you know what? There is a There are possible bad outcomes here. Although now I'm starting to be more optimistic, actually, for various reasons. But back in January, when I first saw Wuhan was closing factories, I called up, and and it's easy for me to say this in retrospect, but I was saying this back in January and February in my podcast and so on. I was calling up everyone I knew who had factories, and I said, look, order a year in advance right now yep. or you're in trouble. This is right before the Chinese New Year, and only one person out of like 20 listen to me. And I get thank you notes every single day. (laughs) And, um, but I did in my mind and I had this conversation with my wife, Robin, I said, you know what? There could potentially be unrest and riding in the streets. And she said, well, so what? We'll just, uh, get a camper and live in the woods like survivalists. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do that. Like I'm not made to do that. I like where I am right now. I like the status quo. And, but here we are flirting with disaster, although I'm I'm a little more optimistic than I was, let's say a week ago, but that's where I'm at. And, and, you know, we've had these conversations all throughout, like what opportunities exist, mm-hmm. what, what things to keep in mind, but tell me what you've been up to lately. What's, what's the, and by the way, Phil, a lot of people have asked, well, Hey, when's your part two of that podcast with Phil coming out? Cause you were going to talk about data and what data is important. And I said, I don't know, because it's all new data now. So what have you been up to?
1: Yeah. So in So a little refresher, um, the way that I have always looked at data comes from my background in politics, which is um, in every campaign I've ever run, uh, whether it's a national campaign or a state campaign or a local campaign, we always go in and look at the data before we work with our politician to understand how to communicate to the voters. And what I mean by that is, and this is a This is a very simple way of putting it, but we'll go take a poll in the district or the state or nationally to understand voter sentiment, to understand what moves them to vote uh, for a certain candidate uh, or vote on an issue. And what we do is we align where the politician believes in pretty much the highest level uh, policy ideas with the voters and where they have alignment you know typically a politician comes to me and they want to run on 10 or even 20 issues and i'm like oh my god please no and usually with the voters we'll find two issues where they have alignment with the politician but those issues rise to a level that could decide the election right
0: so uh, let me ask you this fellow has any politician ever changed their issues or changed their ideas based on what the polls told them like in that yeah, like yeah, the kind a of a political, of, oh
1: god, the majority of them. That's not how I work. I'm always trying to find right. alignment. I think an authentic candidate runs more successfully than an inauthentic candidate. I think you can read between the lines when a candidate sees poll numbers and runs out and talks about them. But if the candidate truly believes in ten issues, but two of them rise to the level that you can win the election, we're only really going to talk about those two issues, right? So that's how we've always looked at it. And so we applied sort of that standard in how we looked at corporate marketing. In fact, I always say, I I love the politician, but I deeply care about the voter and what they think. And in corporate marketing, we always look at the customer or the client, right? B2B or B2C. And we're like, I I love the company we're working for, but I'm obsessed with how the consumer is looking uh, at that product or service and then how we can convert. And so, Um, I partnered with the largest data collection analytics and AI company in America, got an exclusive licensing agreement, and then we're able to take our client's customer base or client base and overlay that online and track the movements, not just what people say, but track their – because we have their IP address, we can track their movements, and then we can develop – uh, an understanding of what their values are in life. We can understand what social media platforms they're going to in a chronological order. For instance, we did work with an Instagram influencer that sold products. And she had hundreds of thousands of followers. She sold hair care products. And we went in and overlaid her entire uh, follower and customer base, tracked them online. She was came to us and said, I wanna move over to Facebook and build my brand on Facebook. Cause she had built this huge following on Instagram. And when we got the data back, it said that her customer base was uh, – that Facebook was the fourth-performing platform uh, for her customer base. She was about Mm -hmm. to invest all this money into Facebook, not realizing that that was the fourth-performing social media platform that her customer base went to. The number one – was Pinterest? It wasn't even Instagram. Instagram wow. was number two. And Do she people goes, go to
0: Pinterest. I didn't even know that.
1: Yes, and she, oh yeah, absolutely. And so she's like, "My God, I never even thought about building my brand on Pinterest." And so that's how you know. As we look at this data, we're trying to eliminate the risk and find the alignment between the customer and the business. And so when coronavirus broke out in early March, oh, yeah, wait,
0: wait, 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 Phil. One question: How is she doing on Pinterest? Has she been building her brand there?
1: Uh, a little bit. Uh, it's hard to get people, even when they see the data, to uh, to to make the commitment. I always say there are two types of business owners: committed and interested. Uh, interested are really interested in ideas until they have to execute them, and then a shiny object comes by and they move on. Uh, committed goes, "We're all in this." So, like, we do this for a New York City law firm. And the owner of that law firm has doubled his business in the last year because that guy is freaking committed. Like he was like, What, what did you show him? uh what did the data the data showed a certain level of uh that have, how the consumer really wanted to be uh, talked to and communicated with it showed that they were all on mobile devices um and so we ran a mobile only campaign they showed it showed what kind of branding we needed to do uh, frankly this law firm was like all of our business comes from referrals and we want to get out of not we want to get out of the referral business we want to not pay referral fees. And I think we've 6X'd his non-referral business in a year mm. because he's wor- we worked through the data, we optimize constantly, and this guy's totally committed. And so, the, you know, this is the difference. There are two t- types of business owners, right? But the data always tells us which way to go. And so, my, so in March... After I did this podcast with you, we pivoted and we said, my God, something's changed. We got to get in front of this for our clients. And we thought we would charge our clients for it. And so we undertook um, a massive data project uh, with our data partner um, and to see what had shifted, what sentiment, messages, uh, what platforms, what consumers were doing now that they were going into lockdown. This was in late March after the lockdown went into effect. And we got such incredible insights that i was like you know what this is one of those moments you just got to give it away so we gave it away to our clients all this data and we invested a lot of money in it and we gave it away and then i went you know what we got to give this away to anybody and so we and you know i'll offer it to the people listening now but uh we have now completed three uh massive consumer surveys about the changing and adapting purchase decision behavior of the american consumer let me give you the the sort of the background on what it is we've now surveyed 16,853 americans uh we've matched it to 200 million plus americans in our database american consumers
0: you mean by match do you mean you sort of uh we build profiles
1: a- and then match them to people in the consumer database right
0: so someone's like uh uh, uh Japanese male with a a a Ford pickup truck. You matched it to all the other Japanese males with Ford pickup trucks living in yeah, and you develop
1: psychological profiles, um, and you can you know make assumptions on basically how they're moving online. We're also tracking 550 million connected devices of the American consumers, and we're tracking—this is the other part that's really important—10 billion, with a B, daily online decisions by the American consumer base. So it is massive what we've done, and we've done three surveys, one at the end of March— one of the Indie April, and then we just came out with one, which is why we're talking right now. I'm going to walk through that. Um, we've expended a lot of money on this. To date, I've had 42,119 downloads of our reports because we've given them away for free. Um, and I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say it's fundamentally changed their company in a moment where they didn't know what to do. We can. I, I'm going to tell you how messages have changed, how consumers want to receive messages, even after all the protests over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I'm talking about non-coronavirus protests. And um, it's really been a game changer for a lot of people. And so I feel like my mission right now is just to be um, an advocate to tell people what they need to know, because I think if they download this report, and they, they, you know, I'm writing about uh, the findings, and you can read my synopsis, and we'll go over that. But I think if you do, if you implement these things right now, you have about a three to six month advantage over your competition. Um, I, I know you, you don't
0: think you don't think these sentiments change pretty quickly, because I mean they obviously changed a lot once mm-hmm. the, the lockdown and the coronavirus hit. Um, but maybe now, you know, that was an extreme event. Maybe now they don't. You're saying they don't really change, and also we were in an area that's not at full employment. There's 40 million people have filed for unemployment. You know, We're just in a different world now. It's gonna change more slowly than it changed between February 28th and March 10th.
1: So I think the earthquake happened. I, I've never seen uh, messaging shift so much in 24 years of marketing in March. And now we're just seeing aftershocks. So we're seeing small aftershocks that are shifting the messaging a little bit. So what happened in March was, we went from an economy over the last 10 years, that everything was—you just said this in the lead-in, right? Everything was based on influence and well. Like, let me show you how smart I am. How uh, what my status is, my influence. Yeah. If you buy this product, you'll look this great. You'll look. You know. Um. There's. Uh. I'm writing about it. Uh, that's coming out to my subscriber list soon. But. Um, Coca-Cola at the end of the year had an ad campaign that said, "Open a, ca- a Coke. Open happiness." Oh, isn't that nice? That was in December of 2019.
0: Now we just don't. We don't even. That's even a. uh, I can't even imagine opening up a coat and getting. Right. So now their
1: messaging is staying apart is the best way to stay united.
0: But I feel okay. (laughs) But I feel. I feel though that is maybe. I feel like I can see through that, and that's like virtual signaling or pandering. Right. Yes. Like who, who doesn't see but, through di- that? But
1: Coca-Cola, Facebook, Google, they're all doing this right now, and those are all data companies. Coca-Cola is a data company. So what mm. I'm saying is if you can see how they're acting, then that's a good indicator of how you probably need to adjust. And what we found in March, we actually – the March survey surveyed uh, 4,888 consumers we had surveyed these people in January before the coronavirus had really gone, you know, had, had, uh, was create, you know, was all over the place. And then we resurveyed them. And so we were able to see really what changed. And really we found three messages that would work no matter what. And that was, you had to message your product or service around helping others. People were more concerned about the health of their family and friends than they were about themselves. Hmm. You had to position yourself around trust and you had to position your brand, your product, your service around safety. Those three things. That's all that matters. The you know, I, you just said it. I, I've written about it a ton. The Instagram influencer who showed uh, their ass on a beach or their abs, and they were holding up a watch and saying, you know, buy this watch, and they got paid ten thousand dollars and got a bunch of swag for it that economy is essentially gone, and it will be potentially gone forever. At the very least, you're going to see about 80% of that market go away. And the reason that is because nobody wants to see that right now. People have lost jobs. The, the economy has retracted. People were in their homes, and they didn't want to know how great your life is. If you're look, look, this is a great lesson in just social media. If you're on social media right now, forget marketing, and you're out there telling people how great your, the corona life is, is you're tone deaf you can't do that that is not it's not the woke crowd that's pushing back it's everybody that's pushing back no one wants to see how great your life is and so this 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 economy that had been built on showing you how great you could be if you just followed these people like these people followed their bought their products all that stuff it's gone it's gone you know, and
0: it's funny because uh and this so, so around March 12th, I think, which was like the first day of the lockdown, I decided to start doing these Instagram Lives because there was all this data. We were getting flooded with data and there was so much uncertainty. So data about the coronavirus. And there was so much uncertainty. Nobody knew the infection rate, the fatality rate, right. uh, whether it was gonna, how badly it was gonna hit the US uh, what age groups it hit. Nobody knew anything. How bad was the lockdown going to be? How long were we going to be locked down every day? There was more and more restrictions state, depending on what state you were in. So I started doing these hourly Instagram lives. I had never done that before. And I saw overwhelmingly what you just said, which is that that was people weren't asking what stock should I buy? (laughs) People were asking like, is there immunity? Is there, you know, uh, how bad is there going to be is it really going to be the case that 10 million people in the united states are going to die from coronavirus like that's what pe- people just needed to know they, they just needed comfort really they needed they needed to be held a little bit like and hugged yeah so we were <laughs> the for only way our, I could describe uh, it. Uh,
1: we've talked about this company before we work for a national pest control company and they um they we shifted them in early march uh then once we got the data we went really hardcore with them we didn't say hire us coronavirus, right? Um, what we found was, and this is also from the data, that the consumer, the econo- the American consumer went from a value system of buying things because they wanted them to buying things only because they needed them. And I think that's a really important distinction. It still exists right now. Yeah. And so people, everybody was opening up their budgets and going, what do I cut? And so we positional of our clients to say you got to be You know, you got to have a clear, loud message that says you can't cut us in this moment. So for the pest control company, we said, you know, you're quarantined. And this is back in uh, March and April. Like we've shifted them again um, just a couple of weeks ago. But March and April and and, uh, May, we were saying you're stuck in your home. You're under quarantine. Um, You're eating every meal in your home. It's bug season, right? Spring and summer's coming. Like you've got to make sure rodents and pests are in your home bringing diseases, uh, you need to keep a high immunity in your home. We'll come. We'll spray your house. We'll wear gloves, masks, face guards. Uh, we'll make sure your pets aren't exposed to any any harmful chemicals. We'll take care of you. All of that messaging was around helping others. The result of that, we just finished a case study on it, um, is that we had uh, we were we were running A B tests at the same time. We were running the typical spring, summer, bug season ads like we typically do. And we ran these Corona ads because we wanted to know the difference.
0: What do the typical ads say?
1: Oh, it was bugging, and you know, spring and summer are huge in the bug business. (laughs) I don't know, I mean, I have to know all this, right? But it's huge because that's when bugs come out. So people in the winter, they don't have as many bugs, they don't call them, but, but once March comes around, everything heats up, right? So we were running the typical bug spring ads that we always do that always work. And what we found was we had between a two and four X conversion, more higher conversion rate with our safety helping others and trust ads as opposed to spring, typical spring and, you know, and summer bug speeds and ads. So, um, and we just completed a case study on it. We, we call it, you know, like a our first COVID-19 case study. And we are going to put it on our website for everybody.
0: Well, to read what is the typical spring ad for a, a pest control company? Is it like, Hey, spring is here. Time to yep. call us back. That's right. But wouldn't they want to say the same thing? Like, hey, spring is here. Make sure rodents aren't in your food.
1: Yeah, you just shift the message slightly. And it's like the one thing you can't cut, we said, was your pest control company because they're there to keep you safe.
0: But what I'm, what I'm trying to understand, what is what is the typical spring ad? Right? What's the difference? It's, sure, the it's
1: pest- termites. It's specific bugs because it's like, hey, don't let roaches come into your house. It's spring and summer. Like, uh, we're talking about specific bugs that come out in certain seasons, right? We weren't talking about specific bugs. We were talking about you know, we're keeping, here to keep you safe.. Got it. We're, here, we're here to help you. We're here to help your family. That, that was the main crux of it. Is it a massive like switch? No, but it's enough that we drove much higher conversion rate um, on that particular ad campaign.
0: That's great. So, so what are you seeing in the data right now? Yeah. Like you said, it's a, you've shifted also again. It, it, yeah. In, so as we've, as we, yeah, so can, what
1: we found is now that the economy – first of all, it's weird. Consumer confidence has actually never waned. And the reason that we can say that, we see that is uh, people got their 1200 2400 $3,600 government check. The uh, people that work for the employees of this country, their companies, most of them got the PPP funding. Uh, the stock market rebounded. Uh, the economy started opening ag- up again. And frankly, people who typically you know, don't save money, that money was just sitting in their bank account. And people on unemployment were making high unemployment insurance, right? Their payments. And so we just didn't see a lot of consumer confidence. When now that the economy is opening back up, People are now spending that money. People are now going back to work. We just saw the jobs report, which was shocked to everybody that we've added two and a half million jobs. And so um, people are going to spend the money. Do I think they're going to spend it forever? No. I think that you're going to have this huge bump in the summer. And then I think in the fall when kids go back to school, I think families are going to look at their, depending on where we are, where the coronavirus is and all that, I think people are going to look at their budgets again and tighten the belt. But I think right now, they are flush with cash, and they're ready to spend. And so if you're a business owner not positioned for that, you're going to lose an opportunity. Um, on the messaging, so helping others, James, you know, I said it's safety, trust, and helping others. That's what worked in March, April, and May. We have now seen in the latest data that we're, we're releasing right this week is that helping others is starting to fade away. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody screw, screw my grandma. Yeah, everybody, and it's really mostly among men. And I'll tell you why. It's uh, women um, are still, you know, uh, still high, uh, still medium on helping others. But even there, that support has waned. And here's why: uh, the number one. Well, before I say why, let me say you: it's the number one issue is safety. And now you add all the Black Lives Matter protests, and safety has has been put on steroids even more. And so we're tracking um, the protest movements right now to understand consumer sentiment around that, and we'll release that in a couple of weeks because we want to see the full effect from all the violent yeah. protests to the peaceful protests to everything settling down, and then where does, it, where does it settle in sort of consumer and purchasing behavior, right? We just don't know yeah. that yet. But and safety, it's all about safety right now.
0: Yeah, because, Phil, let me just add that, uh, so obviously, you know, this, this is not discussing the importance or the issues of these protests. But I will say again, among my, um, among the people I've interacted with and gotten questions from, yes, everybody was kind of anxious and depressed at the beginning of the lockdown and they wanted to know what was going on. There was a lot of uncertainty, but now it's tinged with a little bit more fear. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you know, beforehand people were, people kind of always felt, well, I'm probably not going to get this disease, but I don't want other people to get it. I don't want to transmit it if I'm asymptomatic or whatever, but people felt comfortable walking around if they're protected and all that. Now I feel like everybody, the the majority of people are not protesting, right? The majority of people are still sitting at home or they're seeing the protests on TV and seeing all the news, but they're scared because is, is society just when they thought things were going to get better, is society falling into some kind of anarchy? There's a lot of confusion right. about what's what's happening in society. So now they're legitimately scared for not just themselves, but the structure of society. In and, the, and, that's-
1: and the people protesting are scared. The African-American community is scared and fearful, like after what happened, right? Yeah. Everybody is, and it's across the board. Everybody feels that fear right now across the board. That uh, for different reasons, but they feel the fear. A lot of the people protesting are doing it because they don't feel seen and heard, right? Not African-Americans, but I'm talking about mostly, and we're seeing this in the data, right? Um, mostly like the younger generation um, of white Americans are saying, yeah, I want my voice to be heard because they don't feel seen and heard and they want to show everybody how great they are by standing up for this particular issue," and everybody is in fear mode right now between the virus, between the protests for all various different reasons. And therefore, the theme, the messaging around safety, and it doesn't run around and say, we're going to keep you safe. Or, you know, like you don't have to scream safety. You have to figure out how to nuance it, right? And you have to figure out where, uh, how it works. Um, And you have to be authentic to whatever your brand, your business is, whatever it is. It's really important right now. Yeah. I I, like, you can't be,
0: I I feel like you can't be angry about what's happening. You have to kind of weave your way through to see the other side where there might be solutions. Like you have to kind of show that, that, okay, this is a bad time. We've been through this before. There's going to be solutions and we'll kind of get out of this. There'll be some sort of reform of, of, of some level or other. And then we'll start incorporating these reforms back into what's ahead for society. You'll see a lot
1: of reforms. Both Republicans and Democrats are going to work through that, right? Um, I think my frustration is that you have a generation of people who see the injustices and inequality. They've never actually done anything about it, but then they post a black picture on Instagram and call out anybody that doesn't, yet they've never taken any action to help anybody on the inequality front. Whereas you have another generation, probably our generation, where maybe we haven't talked about it, but maybe for the last 20 or 30 years, we've worked on inequality issues. Maybe we've gotten our hands dirty um, and we don't feel like we need to put up a social post uh, uh, or a black picture because, you know, I, I always say talk alone is cheap. I'm all for talk. I'm all for talking about these issues and getting them out and listening and all that. I think you have to have action behind it. I think you... You need to put your money where your mouth is. Put money into it. Uh, help other people. If you're just talking, then you're a poser. And it reminds me of the Instagram economy.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, have you, see, have you seen how many of these, in, these influencers are looking at this as an opportunity? Because they got nothing going on right now. They can't make money. They can't do anything. And so they're grabbing onto this. And I think the American public is scared, right, that the non-proachers are scared to say anything because they're going to be attacked. But maybe most of the American public believes in the same issues that people are protesting right now.
0: Well, that's just it. Like, I don't know anybody who doesn't believe in these issues. Like, obviously, it's horrible what happened, and it's horrible what happens all around the country. But I will say it's horrible also to see, like, I'm really disappointed in social media where I can just go on now social media and and see a snuff video uh, of, like, for instance, that St. Louis cop who was shot by looters you could just watch a six minute video of him breathing his last breath while while he's bleeding out on the ground and trying to move his mouth and looters are screaming uh i was just a tc i only wanted a tv set like so yes i watched that video but it's like i'm disturbed by what's going on like what's what's sort of held up as like social media and what's banned from social media. And I don't know, it, to me, the world does seem still a little upside Correct. down with all of this. Although I do see the other side. On the one hand, I agree with you. There's going to be reforms. On the other hand, and I'm curious your opinion on this. On the other hand, I don't see real leadership as opposed no. to like the 1960s where there was Martin Luther King and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. When, mm. you know, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, Robert F. Kennedy stood up and made a speech that quelled some of the Some of the rioting that was happening, 1992, we had the riots that were happening, and Rodney King stood up and said, "Hey, let's not do this. Can't can't we all just get along?" He famously said.
1: You even stuttered like him.
0: Well, you know, I was I'm uh, I'm I'm trying to be an actor, so you know. But uh, uh, our this past 30 years, there really hasn't been anything, but there has been a, a much greater sophistication about how to manipulate the population, and so what we're seeing now, I'm afraid is somebody or some, you know, groups or media or who knows what there's, there's no leadership is what I'm saying. And there's no, there's issues, but there's no solutions. Although I do feel that reforms will happen.
1: I agree. Uh, I I think the leadership that I would want to hear from right now are African American cops. That's the ones that I would like you had, I think Eric Adams on the other day. Yeah. Eric Adams is great, but that's, That's who I want to listen to right now.
0: I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice... Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically you know made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb so if you have a home but you're not always at home you do have an Airbnb there and it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com/host The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the, the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, If you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring. So you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important, and I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James, let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You know, I think a lot of people also, I, I think a lot of the Eric Adams of the world, and and believe me, I'm a, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Eric. You've you've been at my house when when Eric was over. We all had a chance to talk to him, and he's the for those who don't know, he's the Brooklyn Borough President. He's running for Mayor of New York City, um, and and he's an African American. He was in law enforcement for twenty two years, where he he did advocate for many reforms that that happened. But I think also he's looking to see how the younger generation is going to step up and provide some leadership. Well,
1: that, that that's my whole point. The younger generation needs to stop just talking. They need to have actions behind it because, like, personally for me, I've, I've worked on these issues for 20 years in inner-city D.C. and inner-city New Orleans, and um, I don't feel the need to put a black picture up on on Instagram. Right. Um, if that's all you're doing, and then you're going to call out other people, right, I, I think this is where we're we're going sideways as a culture we can go down this avenue forever, but um you know that's just really my standpoint uh, that's where I stand yeah yeah, but
0: this is but but that, that this is the backdrop for like what you're seeing in the actual data sure. now, which is you know you're right an increased need people want to know safety on like let's say 10 different levels of what the word safety might mean and how do you how do you see that how do you, how do you see people using that data to make their lives businesses campaigns messages whatever better and how do you see that affecting society and and how might it change once once these protests are done and we're all back at work
1: yeah so why don't we talk about sort of the disruptions from the safety because it's clear in the data and again uh you guys can put it up i'll go ahead and just tease this right now you can go to our uh my company's website winbigmedia.com you go to the tab that says covid19 consumer research And you click on it, and there's no funnel. There's no email opt-in. There's no nothing. You just download the report, right? And I've got all three reports there. I have my analysis there. Um, It's all for anybody. I, I would say the one thing that keeps sticking out is all the future the future disruption of the economy and the businesses that are going to be disrupted. It's very clear in this data, a few things. I was screaming in March, oh my God, the restaurant industry reminds me of the housing industry from 2008, that the restaurant industry had exploded since 2000. It, for 20 years, they were, I mean, in, in Washington, D.C., there was a restaurant called Ham and Sherry. That's all they served, James, was ham and sherry.
0: That's well, it. that's like an... In- in like, uh, New York City, I forget the name of the restaurant, but there's a restaurant that only serves rice pudding. Right,
1: <laughs> right. Um, and, <laughs> I mean, we got, it was just, it was like people in Vegas in 2008 that owned 27 homes, right? And they were just renting them out, and then all of a sudden, boom, everything went bust, right? And they, they didn't have to put any money down. It was the restaurant industry. Ashen industry, was way over overinflated. And, and I went, oh, my God, like, even when we come back, uh, you know, I live in this small beach town in Florida. Emerald Lagasse lives down here. He's got a restaurant down here. He's not opened any of his restaurants back up at all. And ultimately, I, the only way I can co- think about it is like, well, he must feel like he'll lose more money at 30% capacity than he would opening back up again. Uh, of course.
0: I mean, like, look, it's not. I'm not Emerald Lagasse. I own a bar. And right. 25% capacity is okay on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. But you need 150 percent capacity on friday and saturday and
1: your bar having people six feet apart at a bar is not impossible it's impossible and so i went man the restaurant industry is gonna you know have a massive retraction right Uh, Well, well
0: and also just to verify that like walking around new york city right now it's not even like of course every restaurant is closed but it's not that they're just closed about even now with all the stimulus and all the loans out there I Would say a good 20% are gone forever, meaning I yes. see for rent signs instead of closed signs. So if 20% now are for rent, when this opens up, it's yeah, that's, that's right. gonna that number has to double. So it's at least 40 to 50% in New York City, all restaurants, maybe even all storefronts, are closed forever, but definitely all the restaurants. And
1: then you go into commercial retail like that's another one no one's talking about, but how do these stores? social distancing, they haven't been open in three months, how many of them go away forever? Not all of them, I don't mean that. Don't go to extremes. But if 20% of the commercial real, uh, uh, retail business goes out of business, that is a massive hit. Then you go, well, what about commercial real estate? If there are restaurants and commercial retail, and by the way, everybody's working on Zoom, and of course, people are gonna go back to offices. But is everybody going back to an office? No. What if that's another 20%, 30% hit? What if it's a just a 10% hit where owner, business owners are like, why am I paying $10,000 a month in rent? We just Zoomed for three months and it worked. And so you're going to see commercial real estate completely massive. Now, what we just found in this last data that we just went through was uh, the there are more Disruptions, other industries that we see are going to be disrupted. Because here's what happened between 35 and 45% of Americans are na- saying they need a vaccine before they will actively take public transportation, book hotels, including Airbnb, HomeAway, order a ride share, uh, Uber, Lyft, um, and 52% of all Americans want reduced capacity. Before they will travel anywhere anywhere outside of their state, and and uh, I'm writing about this now. But there there was a huge a couple articles that came out. Airbnb is out there running around going, bookings are back, bookings are back, everything's going great. But what we when I looked into it, they're actually booking at a massive rate right now. Airbnb, all local and within the state of the people living, which is backing up what this data says.
0: Why? Why? How come people are, are booking an Airbnb right next door? Because they want to get the hell
1: out of their house.
0: So they're just saying, okay, we'll do a staycation down the I've, block. I've already at, at done Airbnb. two
1: staycations in the last two weekends. Yeah. I mean, we- Where, Where'd you go? I went to Point Clear, Alabama, and we did one in our little town. We went to one of these uh, nice little hotels, my wife and I did, and got away. And like she said the whole weekend, like, Oh my god, we got out. Of, we got out of the house. I'm so happy right now. Right?
0: You, you know, it's funny because as you're saying this too, last night, uh, Robin and I, for the first time since February or early March, we ate inside a restaurant. It was unbelievable. Felt good, didn't it? It was so weird. Like it was weird. But uh, but also to confirm your your point, I was telling a friend of mine the other day. By the way, an extremely high IQ author, friend, one of the smartest people I know, well-known, um, you know, I- intelligent person. And first question he asked me, because he heard I was going to go on a plane because I went from New York to Florida. He said, aren't you afraid to fly the plane? And I'm like, no, but maybe because I've kind of been neck deep in all the virus data, I wasn't afraid. But I was really stunned that he was afraid And so if he's afraid, and this is again, one of the smartest people I know on the planet, how many other people must be afraid? So
1: I mean, like if I was running the airlines or if I was running Uber, everything would be about, not only safety, there's this other hook in the messaging that you gotta use, that we're moving away from sort of a global thinking economy and people really find safety in local businesses or local connections with your company. So if I'm Uber and Lyft, I'm saying here are all the safety measures we're going to take, and we're employing people in this local community. I would do local ads all over the country talking about how we are giving jobs in a moment people are laying off to the local and helping the local economy. And we'll spray between every ride, and we have recirculated it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just making it all up. Well, but like, they should be – Focusing on how they're providing safety to their passengers, and it helps the local economy. And the same thing for, like, airlines. Like, there have been – you've read no stories of massive outbreaks on airplanes or with airline flight attendants. Like, nothing. So it's safe. So why aren't they spending a ton of money right now? Because they're scared that they're never going to have money again, I guess. But they should be doing that. Um, If I'm to look at – all right, so let me give you a couple other disruptions if you're good with that. Um, yeah.
0: Well, the more the more disruptions, the better. Yeah.
1: So public transportation is massive. What are governments going to do? Because people are like, in fact, what we've seen in data is that people that take public transportation are now saying um, that they are going to go buy a cost-efficient car so that they, they feel safe in the car. So if you're an auto dealer right now, people haven't spent the money to to, to go and, you know, to buy cars. But I would go all in if I'm an deal, automobile dealer right now because they are, if, especially if you're like in a low-cost automo deal, uh, automobile dealer, like if you're doing, you know, a certain set of cars that uh, the working class Americans, they want to buy from you. And you've got to figure out how to uh, set up deals and show people that it's cheaper to, to buy a car or lease a car or get a loan for a car than it is to take public transportation. That would crush right now and and also how would you
0: structure the advertising so they should all basically say look public transportation is a there's a long way to go before you can really ensure that public transportation is is as safe as you'd like it to be for you and your family maybe now's the time to buy a car discounts this weekend you know you put in a little urgency I don't know. No, just, I, w- I'm, I I'm would ripping. say this.
1: If I was a car, a car dealer, I would figure out how much it costs locally to take a bus every day to work and back or the train every day back and work, you know, back and forth to work every day or whatever it is. Right. And then I would calculate that and I would structure deals within my automobile dealership that, that would be $5 cheaper a month. And then because I'm from politics and I love negative ads, I'd show people on a bus. Getting coughed all on, and then I'd say, "Here, you can save money, and you get to be in your car safe alone." You know?
0: What do you mean? What do you mean about the five dollars cheaper uh, thing?
1: So, w- w- let's say it costs the average person. I don't. I mean, again, I, you know, I used to take the bus when I lived in DC. I, now that I live in Florida, I don't. But like, uh, I take my car to work. But like, you know, if you found out it costs two hundred and fifty dollars a month to take public transportation to work every day, um, then I would structure an auto if I was a car dealer, I would structure uh, borrowing or lease deals that would be $245 a month. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: I see. Okay. Yeah. So
1: the, the consumer goes, my God, these people, not only are they going to keep me safe in their car, I can afford that, right? And uh, that person that I just saw on the ad getting coughed on on a bus, I don't want to be that person anymore. I right. don't want to go back to that.
0: Yeah, because I was. T- I remember we talked about the whole local thing, and I was trying to I was struggling to figure out what you meant, uh, like, in terms of, like, like, you know, and it's interesting because for the first time ever, I don't even like reading the news, right. let alone the local right. news. But for the first time ever, I've actually started looking at the local news. I, I know who Mayor de Blasio is. Not that I didn't before, but I'm aware of what he says now on a daily basis in New York City because it affects my life.
1: In the first data report we put out, we found out that 21% of all Americans were consuming local news. And if you added up MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, um, and all the cable networks combined, it was 20% of the American public was consuming them because they saw the inherent bias in their takes and in their news. And local news which local news was beating all the cable networks. In fact, local news was performing at a higher level than people consuming Facebook and the New York Times combined. And the reason being is they saw their mayor on TV, their mayor of Key Biscayne, go on TV and say, here's what's going to happen. Phase one is going to open up in a week and a half. Or they saw the local businesses helping out families in need or people that had lost their jobs. They were finding out non-biased news uh, about, the, about the coronavirus and the economy. And so they just – the, I mean, trust me, local news has done terrible for years. And all of a sudden, it just completely shifted. And we've ne- I haven't seen that in so long. It's crazy. And here's what we've seen since March. That, that has not waned that people have actually, uh, that the the cable networks have actually gone down in viewerships from that 20% mark that I just told you about. It's been slight, it's like 18%, but it's still in a, in a trajectory of going down. And local news has sustained throughout this, so people are not tuning it out. So you've got to understand, they are looking for local angles because it's what they trust. They, it's not that Amazon's going away, but if there is a, cl- uh, a clothing store or some kind of local store and they can go and support that economy, the consumer is re- would rather go support the local economy right now than the global economy right now.
0: So that's, that's interesting. So do you think, like, you mentioned the national news. Like, one thing maybe that I've seen, but it might be just my own thinking, is I'm just disgusted with all the national networks. And it doesn't even matter what I believe or not believe. I won't listen. I think they're all, like, whether it's CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever, it's just all BS now. You know that they're all, it's all ratings. just opinionating. And they're, they're it's not... you. It's 50-50 whether any one article is accurate or not. Like I can look at every article on any of these sites and point out where they're not accurate. Whereas you're right, like in local news, it's 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 just facts. It's like, okay, this is gonna open up then, this is gonna open up then, this is what the mayor just said. So it's like facts versus essentially what's a biased opinions on all the other sites. And, and
1: I'll give you another example. Do you
0: think people are aware of that? Like, do you think people know that now?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I, here's the thing: two two things. Let me go, I'll go back to the local angle, but The one thing is this, uh, people have tuned it out. In fact, if you just know that the national news is all about clicks and they're all about views, and that's because they're selling ads and they're trying to make money in a dying industry, right? And so all of this biasness and hate and everything they're doing is to try to get you Riled up, they're trying to get you scared. Yeah, because they sit, they make more money when you're scared, right? And it's working. Um, uh, my buddy uh, Warren St. John, who was one of the founders of Patch.com. You ever heard of Patch.com? It's like a local news yeah. uh, aggregate online. It's like a digital news company, right? So they have patch Birmingham, Alabama, and patch uh, San Jose, California. And it's all the local, it's aggregated local news, right? And I talked to Warren I gave him this, I've kept giving him this data over the last few months. He's in New York. And, um, and he said their business is either, it's like doubled and tripled every month. like Because like, that's where eyeballs are going. People are scared and they want to go somewhere that makes them feel safe. Local is making people feel safe right now.
0: Yeah. Like I have a friend who set up a business. I forget the exact URL, but it was something like, um, are, are we open yet? Uh, com. And it was just basically lists all the stores in every town that's open S- and he's doing well. That's, that's yeah. Super
1: smart. Um, if we're to go back to the disruptions, um, the one that's new that again, it, it seems obvious, but let me walk in- into what the data is saying about it. It's the live events business. So we're talking, uh, sports. Uh, we're talking theater. We're talking movies right movie theater where you go watch a movie in a crowd um to uh, concerts stand up right um and hey don't what are you saying <laughs> no i'm just kidding obviously but, i'm aware but, of that. and a lot of people and that and that we know they have uh masterminds and they have four events a year where all these business owners come in and they study and and, and hear from people on stage and you and i are those speakers on stage and those people are in deep trouble right now because the data is clear. Americans don't want to travel until there's a vaccine. And they don't, they, the thing that keeps popping is reduced capacity. Uh, the, just vaccine, they need a re- before they need reduced capacity until there's a vaccine, which you've said this many times. We may never have a vaccine, but they have yeah, to, it's about comfort, unclear. right? They say vaccine now because in, in their brain, that's a comfortable position. But until we have that, the live events business is gonna be, it's gonna be a struggle for the live events business. And I've, its, it's this is what the consumers are saying.
0: But let me ask you this, and I, I always use the, the analogy of uh, drug rehab. So you go into drug rehab because you're using lots of drugs, and then six weeks later, or three months later, you get out of drug rehab and you say, I'm never gonna use drugs again. But then once you start hanging out with your friends and going to the local hangouts, you just start using drugs again. So as the economy reopens, does everyone who is saying, well, I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z until there's a vaccine and blah, blah, blah. Do they, after a few weeks of the economy being reopened, are they just going to be like, "Ah, I guess I didn't need a mask after all. Well, that's what's happening. Look at the protests. I just was at a protest the other day. It's 50,000 people gathered. They're
1: all spitting on each other. (laughs) And, And look, in Florida, if you're like where I am in Florida, that's exactly what you see. So how does that mesh with what we're seeing? Well, you're right. The more we open up the economy, over time, there's going to be a comfort level. Maybe people go, I don't have to be six feet, but I could be three feet, right? And But it still doesn't bring the live events business back. Maybe the live events business kicks back in in the fall, right? Let's just say best case scenario, it's the fall, because uh, I have a speech that was in April and I got punted to Vegas in, in the fall, right? And so I'm like, really, is that going to happen? But maybe it does. Okay. But my thing is this. How many people out there in the live events business fall away? Even if it's 10%, that's a massive disruption. Because people are only going to choose the highest and best if they're going to do it. If they're going to put themselves at risk, even if they go, I don't want to deal with this anymore, I'm I'm done. Maybe they go, all right, I'll go to a ball game, but I'm really not going to a concert. Or maybe I'm going to go to a concert, but I'm not going to the basketball game. Like, I'm not going to Madison Square Garden, but I'll go, you know, over to the Yankee Stadium. I don't know. We'll see this as it shakes out. I do think that people will have a choice in live events. They're not going to do everything all the time like they used to do. And how much disruption does that incur overall into the economy of the live events business? And we already seen with sports um you know they're saying no fans now like i'm in the south so college football is saying well we'll have half capacity and what happens if there's a breakout after that then that's gonna set that back a while so there's just so much unknown but right now people are scared to be in the proximity and it's clear in the data
0: yeah i wonder how long right now lasts like of course there's the interpretation that right now is just today that's right and there's the interpretation that right now is the next six months and that we're in this new abnormal economy and i think what you're saying is we'll wait and see but it's not going to be as catastrophic a change as the change was in the data from january to march now we're kind of We've got to just ease into whatever the next set of data says. It's not going to be a a flip upside down all of a sudden again.
1: I don't think you're going to see a flip up down. I think what you're going to see is gradual. uh, There'll be gradual movement, right? So safety, trust, helping others. Those all still work, those messages. It's just that safety is more important in the brains of the consumers right now.
0: Yeah, like, like when I'm talking about finance, I find people don't say, they don't ask me, hey, what stock should I buy that's It's going to go up 6,000%. They, they, they instead ask, Hey, is there a risk of hyperinflation and the dollar going right. away? Like that's what they say. Now, again, that might change.
1: I have a buddy of mine that runs a, a massive annuity business, right? Uh, this is, this is their, this is they're, they're crushing right now because annuities are safe. Right? So I, I mean, yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. So, okay. What, so how are you positioning? So you're obviously you're positioning your clients to, um, focus on local messages. Yep. If they can, like, if you were, if you were, if Walmart was your client and Walmart's this national business, how would they position locally?
1: I would literally take a camera and, and run local ads and, and interview everybody that works in that store and let them tell their story about how they, they what they went through mm. and how they're grateful to be back at work and how important the community means to them and how important is to them. And
0: where would they advertise?
1: I mean, I, whether it's all over the local, it could be local digital platforms, it could be local news, it could be local radio. It's actually the traditional platforms are seeing a resurgence, right? I think I read somewhere billboards are starting to see oh, it uh, direct mail has had a huge comeback because everybody's home <laughs> and yeah. they're getting their mail. Right. Um, but, you know, you also have a, set, a large set of business owners that are scared half to death right now and they're sitting in the corner sucking their thumb in the fetal position and I'm saying, my God, like rates have never been cheaper. Advertising has never could never be more effective. It doesn't mean you're going to 10x your business. But if you're able to bring enough new customers into your pool and then have a lifetime value attached to those people, in about five years, you could have an exponential growth in your company and dominate the market and over, you know be way past your competition. And that's how we're trying to position a lot of these clients that we have right now.
0: Do you ever do you ever look at Google Trends to see what phrases might be spiking up all of a
1: sudden? My team does. I don't.
0: Yeah, because like one thing I noticed, and this is related to to what you're saying. One thing um, I noticed is that bread machines and <laughs> bread and and new. So that I think that after surgical masks, this was like a week ago. I noticed this. The top searched phrase on Pinterest was um, noodles and uh, and on shopify after surgical masks and gowns it might i think it was if i'm remembering correctly it was bread machines and the thing about bread and carbs is that they release uh serotonin which or they live, release tryptophan which is a precursor to the neurochemical serotonin in the brain and what that signals to the body is hey things are safe Like it's okay right now is okay. Like dopamine is like, hey, things are about to get a lot better. So that's dopamine. Like, oh, I got a lot of likes. I'm about to be famous. But serotonin is like, you know what? Things are great right now. That's the serotonin feeling. So you tend to feel more dopamine in the morning and serotonin at night when you're going to sleep. So, uh, uh, but bread is a very, is a comfort food. It's called a comfort food. So, so, so bread, it's, it's, it, there's a
1: great data, bread
0: machines, bread, recipes, noodle recipes. These are good businesses right now.
1: That's right. All right. So I have one other disruption Mm -hmm. and this is going to trigger you because you've been screaming Uh about this for years. Okay. Screaming and like you're, you're on point, but I think it's important to talk about higher education. Um, why are students going to take out massive loans or families pay the tuitions of high five, low six figures to a campus that may go on lockdown and they have to go do their, their, all their classes on zoom again.
0: Yeah. And look, you could take, (laughs) it. yeah, (laughs) yeah, No. no, I, it's ridiculous. Like campuses suddenly said, Oh, guess what? You didn't have to be here anyway. Go home don't expect your 70,000 a year to go home with That's you. Right. We're keeping that yeah. there. I mean, campuses are being sued right now because they kick kids out of their dorms and didn't refund the, the dorm rent even. And you know, the school books are like $600 for a textbook. You could take a cooking class from Wolfgang puck right now on masterclass.com. Why would you, why would you not do that rather than, take some shitty class at
1: a a school. And you'd be infinitely smarter by learning under the tutelage of someone actually in the industry you want to study in. Um, So... No,
0: no, so... So so like the
1: restaurant industry, I'm going to bookend it. The other is higher education is a major bubble. And it is about to pop. And I don't know if you can short sell it, but if you could, that's an industry. Well, here's how... You've been screaming how useless higher education is. I'm telling you their business model, how how they've raised tuition, to, uh, you know, on the you know versus the inflation rate or whatever. Yeah, it is in deep, deep trouble.
0: Oh yeah, like since here's just one statistic: since 1977, not only has tuition gone up faster than inflation every single year, not just on average, but every single year, tuition's gone up faster than inflation. But overall, tuition's gone up 10x faster than inflation. Healthcare, which everyone always says, oh, healthcare's costs is what make people go broke. Healthcare's only gone up 3X more than inflation. <laughs> Tuition's just been a complete scam. But, um, you know, here's what I would do is there's nothing, there's no way to short it, unfortunately. But here's what I would do if I was, all the states are asking for stimulus, like, which is just ridiculous. Like if I, why would I want to have my tax dollars instead of it going to one crime syndicate, the federal government and have it sent over to another crime syndicate, which is the state government, uh, the state government should just sell off their colleges before, before everyone realizes it's too late. <laughs> like colleges, that's valuable real estate. It's valuable buildings. Many colleges are associated with
1: hospitals. Just sell off the whole thing before people privatize it all before people realize it's a scam. Uh, they'll never do that. And the only way they're going to survive is to do that.
0: Right. They'll never do that. They have, they have to do that. They're not getting money from the government and I don't know what's going to happen. So, so you bring up a couple of good things in the disruptions, which are scary, which is that commercial real estate is going to have a crisis similar to oh, yeah. the, to the like, financial crisis of 2008. Go
1: buy some commercial real estate in about 12 months. Cause you're going to get some really good deals.
0: Yeah. And by the way, it's not so clear that resident, maybe in some areas, residential real estate will yeah, go down like New York right. city, San Francisco, right. LA. Cause it's a little inflate. It's very inflated, totally. but where you are right now in a beach town in Florida, oh, your real estate's right going to double. It, it that, is
1: already done it. Like people cannot, like so many people have, uh, have, Our our real estate friends are like, we cannot, we haven't breathed. We haven't taken a breath in in two months because of so many people from. Now I'm in the northern, I'm in the panhandle of Florida. So people from Atlanta, Birmingham, Nashville, New Orleans, it's not like everybody, but there's enough that have said, you know what? If we're going to be in quarantine, we might as well live at the beach. And that's, uh, there's been enough that it has just exploded our market.
0: Yeah. What I'm hearing from real estate agents is they're not even. It's not even like they're trying to, you know, oversell like, oh, you better act fast. Someone's about to make an offer 20% higher. What's actually happening is people are just sight unseen offering 50% higher. And the real estate agents are just out of inventory in places like Florida. Right. <laughs> so yeah. in probably places like Austin, probably places like, yeah, I don't know. And where by else, the way, but, we
1: also don't have taxes, state taxes here, which is a yeah, massively Yeah, so a friend of mine just moved to Puerto
0: Rico where there's no federal taxes either. Right. Oh. So... But, but commercial real estate, that's, that's a, a multi hundred billion dollar industry. That's that you can't, if you're in New York city and you own a building and there was three restaurants in your, in, on the bottom floor and a WeWork that was eight floors in your building and WeWork's going to go out, you can't replace a a pizza restaurant with a clothing store. It's got a kitchen in it. Like, you just can't replace these things. And there's no one who wakes up today and says, boy, now that New York City's open today for the first time, I'm going to finally open up a pizza restaurant there. No one's saying that.
1: <laughs> so there's going to be another, you know, I I also, and I've written about this, is I, I think a second and third order, there are a lot of second and third order consequences of this. Um, and I, I think crime is another one. Um, I think that you're going to see an uptick in crime, uh, especially now that, Cops and the society has changed their mindset on you know what they've been able to do. I'm not judging whether that's good or – I mean obviously it's better if we have better uh, police doing better work and, and not treating people um, poorly. But you're going – when you have all these stores that are closed and the criminal element now realizes I can just go in and break in that store. I've been open in three months or it's not coming back. It's got a for rent sign. There's going to be crime and uh, you know it's just going to be interesting to see how that uh develops as well yeah
0: and and by the way this is obviously related to the people calling for defunding the police which I don't know how I feel about it one way or the other but it's not like the police were really solving crimes you know we always imagine like we read comic books as kids like Superman sees with this x-ray vision oh someone's getting mugged and he's he goes at the speed of light and he solves it people were getting mugged and then going to the police. It's not like the police were really solving that many crimes while they were happening. Right. So, you know, the, the jobs of most municipal police was just to raise the revenues by giving traffic tickets and right. finding people. So it's not like, Oh my God, there's a, there's a burglary in progress on fifth street we have got to get there. That never happened except in TV shows. So I, I'm not sure where I stand on a deep on the police. I know it had just been too, too much money that cities and states were spending. But
1: well,
0: I mean, my thing is, some... uh, what, if,
1: what if a couple good ideas come? I, I don't no One's Look, I, they're not even when Minneapolis is not. I mean, they're, they're saying, let's find an alternative solution, not let's just be free to roam and be crazy. Right. And maybe there maybe we should listen and maybe we should see if any good ideas come out of it that can be implemented on top of what we're doing or what we can improve upon. Well, well, I'm always for good ideas. I just don't know what that is right now. Well,
0: let's think about it in terms of the data. So obviously a year ago, presidential candidates, Andrew Yang notably, saw in his data that people were concerned about losing their jobs to automation. Now that period is over and everybody wants automation because you want employee-less stores. So there's less people and there's less, you're putting your employees less at risk if you don't have employees in the stores or or doctors are looking for a robotic surgery solution. So they don't have to touch their disease patients on the operating table. So I think there is gonna be, there's gonna be, there's disruption, but there's gonna be some eruption too, which is automation, robotics, big data, AI, which has both its good sides and its bad. All these things have their good sides and their bad sides, but there's gonna be some eruptions too. Like things that were gonna happen 10 years from now are probably gonna be more heavily researched and happen now, like college ending. Right.
1: I mean, so that, that
0: for me, that's an eruption, not a disruption. Yeah.
1: There you go. I love it. Well,
0: what other, what I mean, but, but I do worry about the second order effects of if there's a commercial real estate collapse, if there's a public transportation collapse, if all of these um, sources of revenue for large corporations and, and state and city governments go away, you're going to see a second wave of financial collapse that is more serious. Yeah,
1: you're not going to see a 10-year bull run again, right? Or a 12-year bull run. Like at gonna, least you're going to see yet. more waves of slowdowns and then upticks and then corrections.
0: Right. Well, and the problem is this slowdown was artificial, right? The government held the gun to your head and said, "You got to stay home, Phil, but we'll pay you for it. We'll give you that $1,200 check. We'll give you these loans." But the next wave of this is going to be an actual, real recession. You know, so yeah, but by I don't the know way, what will
1: how many trillions did we just put it? Uh, did we just borrow? Uh,
0: well, you know, we're going to have to borrow uh, uh, at least at least three trillion, right? You had two two point two trillion stimulus, then you had. Um, I mean, and it, I think you'll
1: go to four or five when it's all said and done.
0: I think you'll go to four to five too, but you know, let's say seven trillion. There, I, I would say somewhere between five and seven trillion okay. has been so subtracted when from do, the economy. When does
1: how long? Do we get till that bill comes to, <laughs> to bear? And I don't know and is it I, two years away? Because that will there is gonna be there's gonna be a lot of volatility going forward forward. A lot of volatility. Which right. goes so, back so, to the theme and the messages for business owners right now should be around safety because the volatility is not gonna stop.
0: Right. And there's gonna like you say, there's definitely gonna be another stimulus. And look, I'm not the federal government, but if I but there is Right now, there is enough demand for the U.S. because the whole world is affected by this shutdown right now. So the whole world, there's no alternative to the U.S. dollar. It's not like you're going to say, well, I can't wait to get into the euro because the <laughs> euro is in trouble because you have entire countries that are going to go bankrupt, like Greece, Italy, Spain. They're in big trouble. So it's not, U.S. is still the reserve currency of the world. So I think there is an opportunity for the euro, the U.S. to put out a 100-year bonds at low interest rates, something they've never done before. And then you're kicking the can, yeah. but you're kicking the can down a hundred years from now. So there that's, is what that we possibility. Do.
1: that's actually one of our great traits. Is, I say this sarcastically is we yes. kick the can. I mean, we kick
0: the can and we line up at buffets. That's what we're the best
1: at. <laughs> well, like cruise lines are opening be, up. You can't
0: be on a buffet <laughs> right now. Right. But when the cruise lines open up, I, I, I bet you people are going to go on cruises. Like they're going, carnival just announced $28 a night. Like you could, you could, you could do your, your side hustle virtual assistant thing and live on a cruise for cheaper than rents in most cities and have all your food for free on the buffet line. That's incredible. (laughs) So, so, okay. switching, it's not quite switching gears, but where do you see this taking place on elections? Because again, I I see two things happening in terms of people switching opinions. We have the conventions coming up, so that tends to um, change the polls artificially. And we just, again, have, you know, we're we're going from um, lockdown where 40 million people were out of work to uh, maybe a temporary V-shaped economy with the stock market at all-time highs again, whether it's temporary or not where where do you see things happening you're you're running a you're running a bunch of online campaigns on both sides so where, where do you see it
1: um right now i'd say this let's just take the i think it's easier for everybody if you frame it as far as how the presidential election looks right so there's no doubt that today um biden is in a really good spot but here's what what i would what i would say we're seeing the data uh we just in the month of june uh, or the month of may they added two and a half million jobs if you continue to see People going back to work and the, and, the, and the economy recovering. And, you know, again, like last time I said, barring any unforeseen circumstances, right? Last time I was with you and then all of a sudden this hit, right? But if you see the economy improving, and there is some hope of a vaccine or a treatment that could reduce the symptoms of the coronavirus by November, I, all things being equal, I think Trump wins. I think if the economy retracts and continues to, like let's say we get two and a half million jobs next month, it's another two and a half million. All of a sudden there's just this crazy regression, right? I don't know, right? Let's just say we see a crazy regression. Um, And you see uh, a second spike of the coronavirus this fall. I think Biden is in position to win. Um, I also know that the campaigns will be run on basically two issues Besides those, one is Trump killed hundreds of thousands of people um, by not acting sooner. And Trump will say, I saved millions of lives, but that's how that argument will play out. And then Trump will say, Biden has dementia. And, that's, and, then, and then everybody on the Democrats' side would say, that's crazy. He's going to be a good steward. He's the safe choice. I'll tell you one thing we're seeing in the data that nobody's talking about right now and I think is utterly fascinating. The people that are voting for – that say they're going to vote for Donald Trump this fall are voting because they're voting for – Seven, I think it's around 70 percent are voting because they support Trump, right? Like 70 percent, 30 percent are like hate the Democrats or whatever, right? That's a really high number in the standards we look at. Right now, I believe – I saw this the other day. 30 percent of Democrats are voting for Joe Biden, Seventy percent are voting against Trump, so that enthusiasm gap is huge on the Democratic side, and now enthusiasm for the candidate. Which right. ultimately, it's it, the hate for Trump is very powerful. Do not get me wrong; I saw the midterms. That was all for hate for Trump. But ultimately, we saw this with Hillary. She had a, a she had uh, this gap in enthusiasm. As a reference, in two thousand twelve. Um, I was reading this the other day that it was uh, Obama had an 80 percent – 80 percent people were supporting him because uh, they, they wanted to vote for Obama, not against anything. That was a huge – that was a massive number as opposed to Romney where a massive number of Republicans that I don't have – I know it was you know in that 65, 70 percent range um, vote, were voting against Obama right? And so Romney got crushed on election day. So you, you have to look, bet- you know, we're looking in deeper numbers. And although today, as it stands, right, things don't look so good for Trump and his campaign. Look also, you got to look at a few other factors. And the enthusiasm gap is something I'm paying attention to right now, because you do not see enthusiasm for Biden. You just see hate for Trump. Um, So let me, let me ask
0: you a question, because this is related to this 2016, you say there was a little bit of an enthusiasm gap. Uh, People weren't as enthusiastic about Hillary, but Hillary did win the popular vote by 2 million votes. So like, if that was the way democracy was constructed in the U S she would be the president despite that enthusiasm gap. Absolutely. That's right. So maybe does that, does the enthusiasm gap really matter? I mean, I can't think of another election though, like, like, like you, like you say 2012 and 2008. Clearly people were enthusiastic about Barack two thousand and four I don't know if anybody was enthusiastic about anything
1: they were well 2000- they were enthusiastic I was on that campaign <laughs>
0: so, right yeah, uh, so they, there me.
1: was an enthusiasm gap for Kerry um people were they they liked uh oh God, I can't think of the vice presidential candidate uh, his the, uh, John, edwards. John edwards there there was actually more enthusiasm for Edwards than there was for Kerry uh um, really yep um and but there was uh, a strong enthusiasm for for bush in that campaign
0: and uh 2000 it seemed like it was probably equal correct yeah 1996 i'm willing to bet clinton there was an enthusiasm for him no
1: none for Dole. no, no yeah. enthusiasm for Dole. 2008 not a lot of enthusiasm for mccain a massive amount for barack obama yeah
0: yeah and uh, 1990
1: and i'm not saying it's the end-all be-all i just think it's an interesting data barometer or data point that you should pay attention to
0: has that enthusiasm gone down have people lost faith because because trump you know this probably wasn't his forte dealing with you know pandemic and protests this is probably not where he shines
1: so i would tell you um uh, yeah but people aren't paying attention People are paying attention to the coronavirus or the, or, or the protests. Uh, all the attention is being put elsewhere. There's no campaign right now. Uh, Biden is still in his basement, you know, six days a week. Um, and so what, what, you, what I tell you is wait till September. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I
0: don't know until then. That
1: is when everything's going to pick up and you will see those enthusiasm gaps uh, or you'll see those enthusiasm levels. And, and that'll be an interesting one to see right now or see in the fall.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to, there's a question I had about that. You know, I've asked people, like, you know, and I'm, I don't even, like, I'm disappointed in in, in both pretty heavily, as you know, but uh, I've asked people, you know, what's what's going on with Biden and the cognitive decline? And they don't really care because- They don't care. They, They, they view it as a, basically, who's picking the Supreme Court justices? which I could understand That's that's their issue. And then they just figure that Biden will hire people who are strong enough to support his presidency. And, you know, hopefully he'll have a good VP pick and that's what they're betting on. So so that kind of uh, underlines what you're saying about uh, the enthusiasm pick, uh, the enthusiasm uh, gap. Um, Oh, I was gonna say this. You know, we were talking earlier about the authenticity of businesses and how the, or, or no, we were talking about the authenticity and sincerity of politicians who poll for their issues and hopefully they don't switch their personal beliefs to fit the polls and and you said you've you know, you like to work with candidates who who who's who actually align with the important issues of the voters. Mm-hmm. And the only two candidates that I've seen where they've consistently stuck with their issues over the decades uh, in this particular election were Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I watched watched a David Letterman episode from 1986 the other day and Donald Trump, a young Donald Trump was on it. He was, you would think he was said this yesterday. He was saying the exact same things that he says now like oh well why are we paying to defend all our allies in europe and they're not and they're you know they're not paying us and they don't you know they're bankrupting us while we're defending them he was saying the exact same things that, that he says now and bernie sanders has been saying the same thing since the 70s so i i, I admire that about sanders and, also and are that-
1: they listen to uh, trump i i get everybody's point but get past everything and the fact is is that uh, he is who he is. You don't say he, you know. <laughs> I mean, he's he is who he is, and people go, well, I mean, you either like him or you hate him, right? Uh, Sanders, you definitely see authenticity there. I mean, that he is who he is. Like he he says, I believe this. Uh, you can go pound sand, otherwise, right? Um, and you know, he probably folk. Trump is an outlier, but but like Bernie probably understands what the polling is i know this they they absolutely know what the polling says and then he's going to be like well here are the three things i uh, you know here are the five things i want to talk about but the polling saying that two of those issues nobody wants me to talk about so i'm going to talk about the other three and that's the, that's how you do it that's how you message it that's how you do it right authentically.
0: right like that's why i i like that that view of of looking at it authentically i think i think most of the other candidates were probably not they didn't oh, Andrew Yang felt authentic to me, but absolutely. you know, but, um, Sanders felt very authentic. Andrew Yang, I really liked. I really thought he was a smart guy. I didn't like the fear uh on automation, but i I believed in a lot of his the his final solutions. And, um Trump, I just saw an example where he's saying the same thing he said thirty five years ago. So uh like you say, we'll see what happens. Um. Does it matter who the VP picks are for, for Biden? This is going to air before, obviously, Biden picks his I don't, I VP don't, pick. I don't
1: know. I don't know. I mean, it typically gets you a bump in the news, and then people really focus back on the main candidates. But What's the
0: strongest VP candidate ever in history, you think, oh,
1: no, that that I mean, really I'm, did
0: sway I'm, elections? Oh,
1: sway an election?
0: Like, did Gore help Clinton? Because it was an odd yeah. pick, Gore, because they're both well, from the South.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, I—, I I don't know. It's a really good question. I, I don't know my history as well as I probably should, uh, but I would you know in modern day I think um, Dick Cheney was pretty good for not. Again, let's everybody's going to criticize him whether you like him or hate him. I think Bush chose him because he said if I were to die in office, this guy could assume my presidency. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see that from Biden. I think Biden has already boxed himself in by saying he's choosing a woman. And now with the protests, he's pretty much boxed himself in again because um, you would think he's now going, oh, my God, I've got to pick an African-American woman, which if that's the most qualified candidate, good for him. I don't you know it's up to him, what he wants to do. Um, But if it isn't. But
0: your point is he's boxing in so that instead of having like 100 choices, maybe he has five choices. Right.
1: And may, like, so here's the disaster, right? Sarah Palin, right? That was the the disaster. It was like the, the Hail Mary of the McCain campaign. Um, and, you know, it ended up being a disaster. I'm not saying picking a woman is going to be a disaster. I think we should choose a. would love for it to be a great woman candidate. But my point is, is that um, the point of the vice president is that, you know, if the president can't uh assume or do his duties on the job this person is going to be president shouldn't it, it shouldn't be the most qualified person and biden may find the most qualified person being uh, either a woman or an african-american woman I, I just don't know but my point is is that they box themselves in by listening and being around the woke mob and Woke mob has said you have to be you have to choose this person and how does the American voter that doesn't want to talk publicly about what they believe in, how do they see that? Not that they're discriminating, but do they s- discriminate because they're a woman or an African-American woman? How do they see it and go, is that really the best candidate if, if Biden, which is a serious thought, is he cannot serve out a full term in office? And I think the Democrat, you know, Biden is probably worrying about that more than anything else right now.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And by the way, on the on the history question, I would say the vice presidential candidate who might have had the most influence, 1960, Kennedy Johnson. Kennedy, the northeastern yeah. liberal good, good Catholic Johnson, the Senate majority leader, so he was already well known nationally. But a good southern, you know, Democrat who who ironically completely um, uh, uh, turned away the, the Democratic Party changed forever because. You know, he he pissed off all the other Southern Democrats <laughs> when he was president, correctly, because they were all the segregationists yep. and so on. But um, uh, that, that's the only election I can think of in the past that's a good one. 100 years. That's a good one. <laughs> um, well, Phil, once again, this was so interesting. Like, while you were talking, I was thinking of at least five or six emails I have to make with your me- with your <laughs> message. I'm going to have to clip different parts of this podcast and send it... To business owners I know specifically, so that they could listen and change their ad campaigns pronto, or 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 at least improve them uh, because of the messaging. You're you're really right on everything you said. Really resonated with me, and and I don't think these themes are going away so fast.
1: No.
0: you know, because on the one hand, I I do think pe- things are gonna people are gonna be. I saw this with the protests. Everybody who, the exact same people who said, oh my gosh, if you don't social distance, you're killing your grandma. Those exact people were like, oh, okay, go protest. Don't worry, 50,000 people crowded into Washington Square Park, you'll be okay. But, uh, so, so I did see that nobody gave a shit when they had something more important to do, but I don't think going to a comedy club is something more important to do <laughs> after this is over. I think
1: everything is, again, think about it like this. Need versus want. Mm. If you position yourself as a, as a want, as an option, you're in deep trouble. If you position your message around that you are in need for the consumer or your customer or client, um, you're gonna, you, that, that is going to give you a pathway to succeed.
0: That's such an important message. And I really should close the podcast on such an important message. But I'm going to go to predicted.org for one second and just see what you would bet on. Okay, and, and who knows if these bets are still gonna be valid when this comes out, but, but uh, Jay, we'll put this out as quickly as possible, okay? We'll make this, bump this to the front of the line. So predicted.org, who, so as you know, the contracts trade yeah. from zero to a hundred cents. Right. So um, who will win the 2020 Democratic vice presidential nomination? Kamala Harris is the front runner yeah. at 44 cents. Um, you can buy yes or buy no. Um, Val Demings is number two at 16 cents. Keisha Lance Bottoms who I bought at nine cents is now trading at 11 cents Elizabeth Warren's at eight cents. And then the rest are, uh, are
1: my long shot is, uh, uh, Gillibrand or Gillibrand or whatever. Um,
0: wow. She is, I don't even, let me see where she is. She's not even, oh, she's at trading at one cent. I'm buying, I'm buying that right now.
1: <laughs> long shot. So? I'm just saying it's good odds.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll buy a thousand shares, 10 bucks. I get, I'm going to, I could win, what can I win? I'll I, I win uh, ten thousand dollars or whatever. There you go. Uh, uh, or maybe I don't know. I can't ever. I don't have, I can't do math anymore. I'm too old.
1: Um, I mean, if if I would tell you this, if Biden hadn't boxed himself in with saying he will choose a woman candidate, uh, I would have put all my money on Cory Booker, who I think. Yeah, Cory
0: Booker totally, but he's at one cent now. Yep. By the way, Joe Biden is at one cent for the Democratic (laughs) vice presidential nomination. (laughs) So, okay, um, uh, here's a trickier one. This one actually was in contention and I probably made a bad bet, but um, 2020 Democratic nominee, for a long time, Joe Biden was hanging out between 80 cents and 85 cents, even though he had pretty much clinched it. And so I bet on a no there. But now he's up to ninety-one cents. Now that he's actually officially clinched it, uh, you know, Trump, I think, is at ninety-two or ninety-three. Let me see where Trump's at. I don't know where he's at. I can't see it. Um, yeah. So so Joe Biden's at ninety-one cents. I made a mistake. I bought at I I bought a no at eighty-five cents because I thought maybe that was why Cuomo was suggesting no no convention, no primary in New York. I thought he was kind of, there was this backdoor plan to have a brokered convention, but I was wrong. And my, my bet was wrong. Joe Biden's almost certainly going to be the nominee. So that's probably not a good bet. Um, would you bet you 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 would have to bet yes on I, if I could bet now I would bet yes on Joe Biden. Yeah,
1: I, my long shot would. We and we've talked about this. Is our uh, mutual acquaintance Mark Cuban would be uh, would be my long shot.
0: I I did bet on him at one cent for who will win the presidency
1: i think he said but, he'd run it yeah as an independent he wouldn't run as a democrat or republican but uh
0: yeah i think he said he wouldn't run as a democrat
1: and he said uh he you know he'd he'd have to be pushed in to to do it
0: um now so. trump um this is where i view this as a short-term bet because you know as the contracts trade up you could trade them just like stocks like i wouldn't hold this one to the election is this interview
1: but- still going <laughs>
0: Yes. This interview is still going. You're going to make me some money here, uh, Trump winning the popular vote. So I thought, I assume he'll get a bump in the Republican convention. He's trading right now at 22 cents to win the popular vote. So so they're basically giving you four and a half to one that he's going to lose or three and a half to one that he's going to lose the popular vote.
1: I mean, I, I, I think if you just look at past history and where we are as a country, I think he caught people off guard in 2016. No one's going to be caught off guard. I think the it just comes down to enthusiasm gap. And ultimately, uh, he's got to win the Electoral College. I just don't know about the popular vote.
0: All right, so three and a half to one. Maybe you think that's fair odds. That's fair, fair enough. Electoral College, uh, uh, well, 2020 presidential election winner today biden is trading at an all-time high Mm -hmm. 56 cents donald trump is at 45 cents um and that's i don't that's kind of an all-time low for trump actually Mm -hmm. and biden's at an all-time high at 56 cents it's
1: like a good buy because things will heat up in the fall and everybody's focused on the moment so i would focus on what things would look like in the fall do you think things will even out in the fall i absolutely do and then if the economy roars back and if we don't have a second spike um, you're going to see those odds shoot through the roof. Uh, go much higher for Trump.
0: An electoral college margin of victory, uh, Democrats by a hundred is trading at 13 cents. I, I wouldn't take that. Yeah. Well, that might be a no. You can bet no on these things. That's a high margin of victory. That's huge. Yeah, that's a lot. That's like Clinton doll. Yeah. Um, all right. There's no other interesting ones. There's probably <laughs> local ones that are interesting, but they're happening like today, so it's not it's not worth it. Uh, let me just see if there's any other interesting, um, interesting. You know, they, there's even bets you could bet how many times Trump will tweet per month, and a lot of people make a ton of money on that. But I haven't I haven't played around in that. That seems kind of silly. Um, will Pence be the 2020? GOP VP nominee yeah. that's trading at only 86 cents that's probably a decent bet to just go 86 to 100 cents it's not a lot of odds it's almost you know no odds but uh yeah it's a de- uh, he's not gonna unless he dies like Pence is gonna be the VP nominee very true um or unless Trump dies yeah he, um,
1: he's not being replaced
0: Let me see there's i'm just curious oh 2020 republican nominee trump is at 93 cents again he was at 92 cents when biden was at 85 cents now biden's at 91 cents trump's at 93 cents but that's that's a lock so all right there's no other interesting bets right now for me who's who's the next supreme court justice who's gonna die oh god i i don't i'm
1: not getting into this like well who who is the next (laughs) person to retire
0: Who's the next one person to leave the Supreme Court? I, I, I the I'm odds
1: RBG or yeah. So she's she's the winner of that. I mean she. Well, I mean she's, she's in a front the, runner. She's in the she's had the toughest health issues, but I and Clarence Thomas as well. Um, but right I, now, I, I think we're so far into the election cycle that uh, you know again, Biden wins in November, then you got to put it on RBG or uh, you know uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. If it's uh, Trump wins. Look for maybe Clarence Thomas, maybe somebody else.
0: Yeah, I've got a, I've got a thirteen to one odds in my favor betting on Stephen Breyer, because he's like eighty one years old. Yeah, and I, I got his contract at seven cents, and he's trading right
1: now what at is seven Kennedy? cents. Is he? Or is Kennedy? He gone? Uh, he's gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: didn't John Roberts replace Kennedy?
1: Uh, no. Anyway.
0: Oh no no. Uh, Kavanaugh replaced Kevin,
1: Kennedy. Yeah, that's it. That's right.
0: Um, all right. Well, on that meaningless divergence where you had ended it so poetically, uh, but Phil Stutz, once again, a great friend of the podcast and of mine. And, uh, this is such a valuable podcast, probably the most valuable one we've done together. Like not that the other ones weren't valuable. They were, they were interesting and fun and, and still valuable, but this one is People should directly apply it to all of their messaging, and I'm going to make money on Predicted.org.
1: And so, yeah, and we'll continue to invest in this data and see how things change. And people can always download these reports for free.
0: Give the link again. Uh, yeah. Where?
1: When go to WinBig Media and click on the COVID-19 Consumer Data uh, tab. It's on the front page, and uh, you can have a menu of all the reports you can download. They're all for free. We don't ask any opt-ins. We do not track you. We're not putting a pixel on there. Uh, no email opt-ins, anything like that. It's all yours. Take it for free.
0: Thanks once again, Phil Stutz. We'll have you back again soon.
1: All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.